Podcast, and it's that time of year. Mike McGill is back. Mike McGill's Christmas Spectacular concert is happening. The 10th annual Mike McGill Christmas Spectacular is on December 18th. It's a Sunday. It's happening from 8 to 10 p.m. at the Bijou. All the proceeds go to Second Harvest Food Bank, specifically to their Food for Kids program. Mike came by and we talked about that briefly and some other things. What else has been going on since he's been here? And who's joining him at the Spectacular this year? It's a great event. It's one of my favorite things to do around the holidays. I hope to see you guys there. Bijou, December 18th, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. It's going to be a great time. Here's my chat with my friend, Mike McGill. We're doing the podcast. Oh, back in the saddle. But that's a nice cigar, yeah? Cabana. I think uh, it's about time we name that chair after you. Huh? You've been here so many times. It's about time we name that chair after oh, you. Oh, yeah? Well, yeah. hell. I always figured uh, I should have something. <laughs> name on the wall? Name black. on the wall or a story wrote about me or song or chair yeah. named after me. <laughs> the, 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 the Mike McGill... Uh, what is it? Uh, not the memorial chair. You'd have to die if we named it the memorial chair, and I'm not ready for that, Mike. No, God, I don't, don't send me out yet. <laughs> not after that. Not till after the 18th, anyway, right? You, you've got an obligation, right? I got a gig, baby. <laughs> <laughs> hey, cheers, cheers, brother. Oh man, yeah, it's good to see you again. It's uh, good to see you as well. Mm. Good to be back. Yeah. The uh, spectacular is upon us. It is. That bourbon's very spectacular. Yeah, it's Elijah Craig, I believe. Yeah. Let's see what we got. Elijah Craig. Uh, first to char oak barrels. I don't know. Yeah. That's no, rye. It's rye. I just uh, go with Elijah Craig. Yeah, it's rye, though. Yeah, because <laughs> any more than that and... You're going to sound like you're bragging, and nobody likes a bragger, Ben. We've been over this time and time again. Well, I got to get my call back in there. You, you're always good for a callback. You know, there's so much, to, so much that uh, has become like meme worthy with you with you coming over. I was at the, uh, I did the Pachacucha presentation, and one of the best moments the what? of Pachacucha that 20 slides in 20 seconds at the mill and mine. I just got nervous. Did you? It's, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know what you... It I wasn't thought, English. I thought you were having a stroke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm teasing. But Tell I, me about the Pachapaka, or what is it? Pachacacha. Pachacacha. Yeah, I presented it. right? Yeah, you Pachacacha. got it. You nailed it. All right, all right. And I, you should actually do one. But uh, you, I'd love to. I presented on the podcast. I've never, I've never ate one. <laughs> Are they good? Yeah, they're delicious. <laughs> they taste like chicken? Yes. <laughs> okay. But the one of the best moments of my presentation was the uh, the slide where we were wearing our Santa suits and uh, oh yeah yeah I said this is where uh, me and Mike McGill drank moonshine wore Santa suits and talked about all the times he went to jail oh god <laughs> yeah <sighs> funny how the truth comes out sometimes I man you know who gives a shit I ain't I ain't got nothing to hide 
you know, it's part of life. It's a, a cruel part of life sometimes of the uh, of the injustice system. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, and neither one of them were my fault. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I was I, cleared. Don't you people out there start judging me? Especially the Memorial Day incident. You didn't deserve to be kept in, in no. jail over a holiday weekend. That's no fun. No. But you can't drive around with uh, an outlaw bumper uh, sticker on your car or an outlaw license plate on your car if you hadn't uh, if you hadn't at least uh, you know been in a little bit of trouble. Well, I didn't have it on there then. Well, I know, but you do now. And yeah, you, you, you well, it's know, Willie Nelson. I know, but I feel like if Come if, on. if you hadn't if if you, if you were, what am I going to put on there? Little Red Rooster or some, you know, uh, I mean, I got nothing else. But. Well, but I'm just saying you, you and Pachapacha. Cha. <laughs> what you, is it? Yeah, Pachakucha. It's uh, <laughs> Japanese for chit chat. Come on now. I love it. I'm not knocking it. <laughs> Dang. So I. Uh, I'm lonely, Ben. I understand. But you've been, you've been playing out, though. Like you, you. It's not like yeah. you've been locked up in your house for a year like you were last time you no were here. No kidding. You know? Yeah, that was crazy. Uh, well, and it's it's been it's been little bits and pieces. Uh, we uh, we did um, um, we did the second Saturday of each month at the Jig and Reel with the full band, and that was a lot of fun. And then I was doing one solo appearance out each month so um yeah i went from 125 150 dates a year down to 75 down to none and then uh finally this year i was just like you know what i gotta get back out there at least a little bit just to scratch the itch you know How's the jig and reel stuff going or how did it go it was good um just a standing gig once, uh, once every, once know, a month, once the a month, second yeah. Saturday of every month. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was good. Uh, folks there, uh, you know, we had, uh, we had good crowds and we had, you know, there was, it's like any other gig, you know, or any other time you, you've got a few of the faithful and then you got, uh, it's part of the fun of it for me is, um, you know, um, well, it's fun both ways. It's fun to have, you know, like hopefully like with the Christmas show, there'll be lots of people there that's seen me before or maybe have seen that show before or um, or Mike McGill fans, but then there'll be some newbies there too. So, yeah. you know, the whole once a month thing, we would get, we would get some new people in the, uh, in the restaurant and, you know, your job then is to turn them, right? Yeah, turn them into I fans. Mean, you don't want them throwing food at you. I mean, of course, they take it out of the can before they throw it at you. It's always a lot better. Don't hurt as bad, but uh, you, you know, you want them to. Uh, you want to turn them. You want to. You want to make them a fan. And uh, I think we were we were very successful in that. Good. You know, through is this it, past year. So who was the band? That you were playing with same um, same band you've got for the for the spectacular. Yeah, I've been really fortunate to uh, have those guys around for a while now. Uh, it's uh, Barry Pohanna on electric guitar, and he shreds. He's uh, yeah, he's the old uh, Mississippi mud dauber. 
Yeah. He's a good one, man. And uh, Or Little Joe after taxes. He kind of reminds me of Little Joe Cartwright after taxes. <laughs> I told him, I said, oh, you know, we just need to get you a green corduroy jacket and a little hat, and you'll be... He's like, thanks, Hoss. So, uh, <laughs> who's, wait, who's Little Joe? On Bonanza. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's before my time, Mike. Young Ben. I know. Yes. You got to get me TV and watch some reruns of Bonanza. Me so Michael TV? Landon played Little Joe okay. Cartwright, who was one of the Cartwright brothers of the t- hit TV Western series Bonanza. I've heard that was a hit. Yeah. It was a big hit. Lauren Green, Dan Blocker. Uh, Michael was, Landon. Was this MASH era? Pernell Roberts. Tele- television? I guess um, MASH, MASH ran forever, so. Yeah, it would have been it would have been close. I'm not sure if it, it might have been a little before, uh, a little before MASH, but I'm sure, I mean, you know, I know MASH was one of the longest running series yeah, ran forever, in TV ever history. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I think Bonanza ran for several years as well. So what did so. Little Joe look like after taxes? Poe. Poe. <laughs> he looks like Poe after taxes. <laughs> um, but no, Poe Hanna on guitar and then um, um, Jamie Akins on keyboards and um, um, Daniel Shiflett on the electric bass and then uh, Nate Barrett on drums and myself on acoustic sometimes slash electric and uh yeah it's a lot of fun so uh what's the catalog like that you play with at jig and reel compared to what is gonna be happening at the spectacular i guess it's all christmas songs that you're at the christmas spectacular did you uh did you walk take any of those for a walk at uh the jig no wrong season wrong season yeah i mean um we we do those you know that's that's the number one rule of the not rule and nobody likes rules but i guess the number one requirement of the christmas show is it's got to be all christmas music yeah be any genre you know you're going to hear you're going to hear stuff from covers you're going to hear original tunes people have written you're going to hear um bing crosby you might hear willie nelson you might hear the Pogues, you might hear the Kinks, you might hear Run DMC. You know, it's going to be all over the. It's going to be all over the board. It was so much fun, which last is year. a lot of fun. You know, last year is the first one uh, that I've been to in a while. I think uh, since Barley's. So, yeah. uh, and I know that you had to take take a year off or two. Did you take two years off or one year? Um, off? You did live stream for COVID, right? Yeah, we did a live stream in 2020 and then came back on in 2021. So, yeah, we took one year. We didn't take it off. We just didn't do it with the – it was a Christmas spectacular solo extravaganza. Oh, yeah. 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 See what I did there? (laughs) Yeah. Alliteration everywhere. (laughs) So uh, what about the uh, – not, uh, the beneficiaries, I guess, are, are uh, second harvest again. Is that right? Yeah, we've been we've been. Um, you know, we started this thing out in like New Year's of 2011. Yeah, when we thought the world was going to end. Yep the Rodney the, the Rodney Lee. Uh, yeah. yeah. So in 2012 we started it, and then we did it. We we did it probably three years, 
I think in, I think it was the fourth year that we we made it a charitable event. Yeah. And it's for uh, Second Harvest Food for Kids program. Yeah. Which is in uh, one out of eighteen counties here in East Tennessee. And um, yeah, it's a really, really, really good, really good benefit. They run so efficiently there. They run at ninety five percent efficiency. So for a, for every dollar, you can they can provide three meals for a dollar. Yeah. So your twenty because they get food donated and right. they can, it's not like they're having to go out there and buy this food right. So it, it covers their I guess their administrative costs of getting people to yeah. load and unload the trucks and all that, yeah. and they're able to take but, those donations and turn them into nutritious meals for people with food insecurity. Correct. So ninety five cents out of each dollar goes for that. Yeah, for the food. Wow. And um, they've got a big. 15,000 square foot warehouse up here in Maryville. Um, and I've, I've been able to tour the facilities and it's quite the operation. I mean, and, uh, I'd love, uh, for no other reason just to put them out of business this year. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Just not, not need them anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So is, I'm sure that that, the fact that it is a fundraiser, puts this whole uh i don't know the spirit of giving behind it people want to give in the crisp in the around the holidays because you know they probably hadn't done shit for anybody but themselves for the Mm. (laughs) first 11 months so is it easy to get to get people to uh get involved from uh from a standpoint of maybe musicians that you couldn't get to come out and play a gig for you or play a gig with you you know throughout the year is it an opportunity for you guys to or for you to get to play with some musicians that you don't always get to see or play with because it's, it's for a good cause. I, you know, I guess it is. Um, I, I haven't ever really, um, I have over the years, I have just, I've just tried to, to watch and see who's out there working and hustling and doing some things. And I just send out kind of a, not all the time. Uh, not all the time. To, I don't get all the guests this way, but once a year, you know, probably after Halloween, I'll send out um, maybe 10 invites, you know, or... To musicians that you want to feature right, or that you want to guest with? Right, of folks you? that I'd like to do something with yeah. and or would like to guest with me. And, um, you know, it's first come first serve. So, uh, and I've just never really, I don't know. There hadn't been much more of a pitch than that. Yeah. You know, just come out and have fun. You know, the number one thing is that it's got to be Christmas songs, but it can be any genre. And I really encourage folks to try to get outside their comfort zone because the boys in the band can hold it down. Yeah. Play anything. any style, yeah, and uh, and that that entertainer when he when he or she comes out, they've only got one hat to wear, you know. As a musician in on the show business on the local level, 
you know, you have to wear so many hats. Sure. You have to be a writer. You have to be an arranger. You have to be uh, a director. You have to be uh, the logistics guy. You have to be uh, the rehearsal guy. Then you got to be a musician. Then you got to be a singer. Then you got to get, then you got to be a damn accountant. Then you got to be a banker. Right. You know, so you got all this stuff and there, all you got to do is come out and perform and have fun. If you're a guest. That's if, all you're, you if you're a guest, yeah. yes. It's it's like, you know, it's like live karaoke for professional musicians. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> so uh, you said you didn't have a lot of repeats this year uh, as far as guests are concerned, right? You got... Well, we got we've got four new folks coming in this year. That's great. Uh, the newbies would be um, Daniel Fluitt from the Thrift Store Cowboys. He's never been a part of the show before, and then um, a fellow by the name of Nicholas Horner, who is doing uh, Make Music Knoxville, and uh, he's doing a thing called Carol Cart. Oh, yeah. And he's going to be bringing uh, a couple of three folks with him to uh, showcase what they're doing. And then uh, Will Wright, who everyone knows, been around uh, probably about as long as I have, I guess. Yeah, a little iffy peak physique. Yeah. Uh, he's coming out for the first time this year, and uh, which we're totally excited for. And then uh, that's going to be uh, it's got to be weird, right? I mean, it's gonna have to be different. I, I feel like Will doesn't do uh doesn't do a fastball down the middle very often. No. Uh I think, you know, he, he wrote a song specifically for this. Awesome. And it's called uh Not This Year Christmas. Yeah. And Not uh, This Year Christmas. Yeah. So uh, you know, take I can from already that. see it. it. It's really it's it's very clever, yeah. and if you know anything about Will, he's pretty clever, quick-witted guy. Yeah, a lot of people call he's him a genius. A, he's a good ping-pong player, you yeah. know? Just yeah. hit it back to me, big guy. All yeah. right, you got it. Here you yeah. go. Yeah. And uh, we we hit it off uh, straight away. Did so. you guys know each other pretty well? Just met each other kind of in passing, you know? Uh, somebody would have something, a, a, a collaborative top show. Yeah. And I'd be a guest, he'd be a guest, see him in the green room. Hey, how you doing? Great. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of running the same circles. Nice to meet you, you know. And then you're worried about your shit and he's worried about his, you know. Yeah. Um, But no, I mean, really, other than last year, he was doing some stuff for WATE. And uh, he got me a spot on the Live in East Tennessee at WATE. And we talked about, you know, back in back in the day uh, when I was in high school uh, in uh, the choral department and stuff, we used to go every year at Christmas time and put on a full Christmas program that was broadcast live on the on the TV. Really? Uh, and they did it. I don't know if every school in the county was involved, but there was several. You know, you'd have Carter High School, Gibbs High School, Fulton, I know, did it. Um, several different area high schools would come down, and they would put on a 30-minute uh, Christmas program, you know, that was live on TV. Were they able to, to call it a Christmas program back then? Because by the time I was going through school, we were singing like six Christmas songs and a Hanukkah song. 
you know? Yeah. To to make sure everybody was represented. It may have been it may have been uh it may have been um marketed as a, a holiday. Yeah. Maybe that's what it was. I just didn't know if that uh if that sentiment had had crept in yet because i remember oh god no yeah they're still smoking at the pizza hut and yeah you know yeah they didn't twist the sister t-shirts didn't give a damn about anybody hey fuck (laughs) it's like lover boy man working for the weekend you know what i mean or uh maybe that wasn't lover boy (laughs) anyways i um i don't think it was but i don't know if it was that's you know that's the way I tell it. I don't know if it was yeah, actually yeah. billed that way or not, yeah. but it was a definitely probably. I remember doing a it holiday show. I remember doing it in in, in middle school and high school. It was so yeah. much fun. The parents came and they absolutely loved it, and it's hilarious. The kids mess up. Yeah, you know. By the time you're in high school, though, that's when people start to get good. Yeah. Is that when you realized you could sing, or did you know before that? I kind of was a mimic. My mm-hmm. whole life, you just kind of did whatever you heard. Yeah, yeah. From brown squirrel commercials to yeah. George Jones to you know, well, you can Huey still Lewis do or whatever. You yeah. know, that's kind of where I. But then somebody would hear me do it, and they'd be like, "Oh wow, Mike's really got a good voice," you know. Yeah. And then they'd ask me to sing, and I'd just totally run to my room. I'd perform for them. But I'd do it from my room, so I would sing loud enough that they could hear me, like in the living room or or wherever the group was if they were at our house. But I was really shy, you know. I didn't want to. Um, but then, then I got in. Uh, yeah, probably in high school. Um, I mean, I knew I could sing, but then when I got in high school, um, I realized that girls really like guys who can sing. You know, uh, did, did you did you play some guitar for him, sing for him too? No, I was uh, I played banjo back then. That couldn't have been cool then. Mike. It was totally not cool. Was it not? No. Yeah. No. Um. So my eighth grade year in middle school, I was picked. Myself and another uh, kid was picked out of the eighth grade band to go to high school band. And be a part of the marching band and the orchestra. So you got called up. Got called up to the bigs. Yeah. And uh, my first day of getting over to the high school. (laughs) (coughs) Pardon me. We're sitting on the uh, we're sitting on the uh, handrail of the stoop off the back of the band room, and I look down the street. You know, there's a side road that comes up behind the school to the band room. And here comes like a Firebird, a Camaro, a Dodge Ram Charger, you know, every typical 1983, 84 redneck vehicle you could, you know, cool high school. Yeah. Hot rod, four wheel drives, you know, and they had, you know. Ruger stickers across the oh, Lord. Uh, across the uh, the windshield, yeah. you know. I mean, it was <sighs> come on, it was East Knox County, so you know all these kids and and they 70s were seventies or eighties, eighty. Come on, 80s. man, why you think I'm dead yet? <laughs> you ever tried to write me off? Now I'm, I'm, I'm you know, <laughs> it, 
I just see why you didn't want to video it now, <laughs> asshole. Golly, think I'm walking around on a cane? Got my premiums paid up? Ugh. No, it was 83, okay. I believe I said earlier. <laughs> so it's early 80s. Yeah, but that's not the 70s, for Christ's sakes. Talk about Thunderbirds and all that stuff, or Firebirds. I, I didn't know. Yeah. I was trying to get the vintage. I was trying to get the mise-en-scene in my head, the, 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 the view. I had to see it. Well, this was the 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 Ruger the Ruger emblems, the Hank Williams Jr. emblems, and you know the kids all get out and they got Megadeth and Iron Maiden, yeah, and Boston and all the rock and roll T-shirts yeah. on, and they're seniors. Yeah, they they've got beards. And you're, yeah, you're, they, yeah, and you're this. thirteen years old. Yeah, and I look like I should be on uh, selling Bibles, you know, for yeah. somebody. Yeah, and um, and I'm just like, holy cow, I, this is. This is different. There's a big difference know. between an eight year, an eighth grader and a senior in high school. Oh, tremendous difference. Yeah. Like puberty and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> beards. <laughs> I got them beat with a beard this year, though. Oh, well, you wear that well. Yeah. Um, do you get it trimmed up before the show? Do you, do you, do you have a, a, I mean, because you look pretty dapper on stage. So well, I, I wonder if you have a hair and makeup person that, uh, that does you. Up. I do. Yeah. Uh, one of my dear friends, uh, Cindy Lou, uh, oh, yeah. chop shop. Yeah. From the chop shop. Who's also a sponsor this year. Oh, nice. Along with yours truly South scruffy podcast. Yeah. Glad to do it, man. Um, so yeah, I go see Cindy every year. You know, I used to wear, uh, my hair really, really, really long. And I would only go see her once a year and we'd donate it to the locks for love wigs for kids or yeah. yeah. And, um, but anyway, back to school, you know, these kids came in and I was just like, man, playing banjo is probably not the coolest thing in the world. And then, so we wound up going to, uh, to a state festival down in Vanderbilt and, you know, these older guys started talking to me and not so much the other kid that got called up because he was kind of nerdy. And, um, so some of the members of the, of the choir or the band that you were in. Yeah. Started taking yeah. a liking to my, to the young Mike. Yeah. The, the, these seniors and upperclassmen, you know, yeah. and I, and I, and they were like, uh, you know, I think it started out, man, I really like so-and-so, you know, they'd have a t-shirt on. I really like uh, ACDC, or I'm a I'm a Bocephus fan, you know, or I I like this or that, and and somehow or another got brought up, you know, do you play guitar? And I'm like, no, I'm actually a banjo player. And it was like, you play banjo? I was like, looking around like a UFO had just landed, you know, like you're interested in that. You're wearing rock and roll, driving a Firebird, dating the hottest girl in school, and really? So, lo and behold, I take the banjo on the trip down to Vanderbilt, and we're staying in a hotel room, and I'm riding the elevators playing the banjo with these guys jamming on their guitars up and down the elevators of the Nashville Sheridan, (laughs) you know, so... I, what was it about the banjo I, that that they I, thought like it's different and weird? And nobody else plays it. I don't it? know. Maybe one of them was wearing bicycle pants and they got excited. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but uh, it was just cool that I, you know, I mean, that was my end. So Who'd have thought? I was. I became kind of the, 
you know, the, the cool little kid that was in the high school band. So I Were never got laughing? any, I never got any, you know, I never got any trouble. Yeah. From any of these guys. They were always real cool with me. They were. Yeah. They, you're pretty certain they were laughing with you and not laughing at you, right? Well, I mean, you know. <laughs> yes, for a large percentage of it, yeah. They were they were very cool. It could have been it could have went a lot worse. Yeah. It could have been a lot worse. You got that torch? Yeah. I let this uh, this cabana go out over here. Mm-hmm. From my thinking. Uh, th- this is uh, like I said, man, I, I think I've only like I told you before we started, I think the last time you were here was like the, I don't know. I think I've smoked like one cigar since then. And I always enjoy it with you, man. It's like my once a year, Mike McGill comes over for Christmas and we have a Christmas stogie. Well, I try to bring you a good one too. And something that's not going to be, you know, uh, there's definitely different strengths with these things and you can get them. That's, really gonna be too too powerful or too strong for for folks so i try to i try to pick you a good one yeah uh, inexperienced uh palate yeah like my, like my own you had yeah. to tell me not to inhale it earlier uh yes um <laughs> but um so yeah high school so band was really fun and then i got into the choral department and had a absolute wonderful teacher and um one of those teachers that changed your life? Was yeah. It, it was one yeah. of those? Yeah, very much so. This guy was, uh, you know, was a doctor in, in music. Gotcha. And, you know, and I took everything from chorus to theory to singers to ensembles to every elective I could take was music. You know, theory, handbells, I did it all. Isn't that nice to figure out something that you love so <coughs> so early and then to come back to it as, yeah. you know, I don't know, what are you, 75 now or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, folks, who's listening at home, that's two for Ben, zero for Mike. But to know that you kind of found something early in life that you can come back and do for, you know, a job. and yeah. You, you kind of knew early. You knew at you know twelve, thirteen years old that it was what you yeah. If to do. It, That's pretty cool. You know, man. I mean, if it you know if I hadn't have got that first job on the on the Nina Pinta or the Santa Maria, <laughs> <laughs> jackass, <laughs> that was my first cruise ship job. His <laughs> <laughs> good money. Uh, yeah, you know. Uh, got to travel. Yeah, trying to convince somebody that the world was as round as. I wonder if people realize that they love sales when they're you know seven or eight years old or or, or in seventh or eighth grade that early and you know I just I, I think it's rare that you see people that gravitate toward. I wanted to be a professional baseball player when I was that old, mm. you know, and to to you know see somebody down the line that kind of identified it early. It's inspiring. And it, it you know, lets people know that, you know, pay attention and pay attention to yourself, pay attention to what you like to do because you never know. It might be, might yeah. end up being the thing that defines you. Well, I've always, I never really thought it. I never really thought that about myself, but I guess you're right. Um, But I'll, I'll uh, read something or, 
hear something about, you know, maybe somebody that went into broadcast journalism, let's say, that always knew they wanted to call ball games or they wanted to be in the news. They wanted to read the news. They wanted to report the news uh, or something in that in that line. And I think a lot of times, you know, like where I came from, the school and stuff, you know, I mean, I would just think if you said, I want to be broadcast journalism major, that I want to be, you know, I want to have a job in that. I feel like our guidance counselor would have told you, well, hell, son, you just might as well go build you a damn rocket ship out in your backyard and fly to the moon next week. Really? I Yeah, kind of. And I don't know if that's, you know, I could totally just misconceived every bit of that but it just seemed like it seems like um nowadays um that kids have a little bit more um there's a little bit more importance put on direction and 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 what to do uh with your life you know i remember going to senior day and not having two flying flips about anything I wanted to do, you know, and I had a buddy who wanted to be a Navy SEAL. And I was like, dude, I've, I stick your head in the dirt every three days and you really think you're going to go be a Navy SEAL. And I seen him like six years later at a, at a friend, um, a, kind of a family member friend at a funeral. And he came up and was like, you know, on my shoulder, and I turned around and I was like, well, hey, Jim. He's like, you want to wrestle now? You know, and I'm like, uh, no, I want to know how you, how you doing, what you been into, you know. Did he do it? And he did it, you know. So, and, you know, maybe some people listening or whatever, and maybe, maybe that was just, maybe that was just a, you know, you could say that's a cop out or, Maybe just because I didn't really know. I knew I wanted to do something with music, but I had no idea what that was going to be. Mm. I didn't know if I was going to be a performer or a teacher. Or, I mean, there was certain at certain times I thought, well, maybe I'll maybe I'll become a choral teacher like my mentor, my mentor, you yeah. know, uh, things like that. But then. Um, you know, and then all of a sudden you go through all these crappy jobs, you go do all this stuff, then you decide, nah, I'm really going to go to college. Then you go to college and you're just like, man, this sucks as bad as that crappy job did. But then do you and realize then the it's... next thing you know, like 10 years later, you're on the, you're in the Bay of Cuba entertaining troops. Is that what happened? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, playing bluegrass music for all things. USO tour? Yeah. So you're just like, and then you're sitting, you know, you're just like, how'd this happen? I don't know how it happens. Well, I, I feel like there has to be like a delineating moment in your life. You go work a dead end job and, and you realize you don't like it. And you have to ask yourself, what do I love? Like, what's going to make me happy? And then you think back, okay, when was I the happiest? Doing what? For you, was that was that making music? Did you have that moment where where you? I did. Where you? I did. It took a long time to get there, but I finally did have it. 
I think I think with a lot of things like you know, I mean like, well, we'll just take my dad for instance, cause you know, he was my dad. He's one of my heroes. Yeah. Um, even though we may have got along or didn't get along at certain times, just sure. like every father son. Yeah. <clears throat> but you know, my dad worked thirty eight years for KUB in the water department. Yeah. And I just always thought that's probably what I do, you know, because that's what you do. He was successful. He was uh, good at it. But I had no idea if my dad was ever happy, mm. you know, or if he had those mornings where he was just like, Ugh. Ugh. you know, I don't want to get up and do this again. Was and, that an odd? And things like that. Was that an odd feeling to have to like, to have to ask yourself what you could do that would make you happy for a career? Because I I feel like our parents' generation slogged and they put their head down. They did what was right for their family and they they, did what what they had to do. And that made them happy or that's what gave them self-worth. And then I feel like we got into this and it, you know, sometimes gets called entitlement of like, maybe I can enjoy my job. Maybe I can enjoy what I'm yeah. doing. Is it is it selfish to you, ask to be happy and fulfilled myself? You, you mean you're supposed to be? Yeah, I, it's a, it's an option? Yeah. Like, I think I kind of grew up that way. Like, I didn't know, you know, I don't know. Right. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You know, uh, and my dad was, and my, my dad and mom's, you know, we lost dad last uh August in 2021. Uh, so, and he was 87 when he passed. So, you know, I'd been told several times, jokingly, uh, that I was supposed to have been a motorcycle. You know, I wasn't supposed to have came along. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my dad would say, yeah, I was getting ready to buy me a motorcycle. And then you came along. It's like, oh. Great. I wonder where your inferiority complex came from, Mike. Glad I could. Yeah. (laughs) I have some abandonment issues as well. You throw me up in the air and walk off, you know? So it's short term abandonment. Yeah. It's like, well, where'd he go? He never went to the store for for a gallon of milk and didn't come back for three months. It was more immediate than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I, you know, so I, I don't know if I ever actually ever really knew. So I was, um, and I became a dad at 25, um, and had planned on it, you know, it wasn't something that happened, um, you know, that we weren't, uh, thinking about, but then at about, Oh, I would say I was probably around 30 or 31. And we, uh, I had a guy, I was playing some, I was playing out at this uh, little festival and this guy heard me singing and playing uh, bluegrass. And he was like, uh, we kind of befriended each other and became kind of buddies and stuff. And then one day he came to me out of the blue and was like, hey man, I got an idea. I said, okay, let's hear it. And he told me about this place that he worked. And it was a timeshare resort. And he was like, you know, they see a hundred to 150,000 families a year. They're all sitting up there with nothing to do. 
pissed off at one another because they're at some timeshare tour to get a Dollywood ticket. You know, I think we could we could write a show and we could pitch it to this place. And we could go up there and make a living. And for whatever reason, I was just like, yeah, I believe we could do it. So that was the, was that the start of your professional music career? Yeah. It was. Yeah. I had no idea because that was I mean, I kind of already thought of you as a professional musician at that point, but you were in that I guess you were already in that stage yeah, and you were probably, playing out by that time too. Yeah, probably by the time we had when we first met, I was I was probably already doing that a couple of 3 years. Yeah. And you were yeah. starting to play it. So did that kind of you know I guess job you'd call it. I mean, you were playing yeah. a few days a week, right? I made six hundred bucks a week, cash, driving as a, up there. as an independent contractor, and I don't know how many CDs we sold every day. Yeah. So there's always cash money at the end of the day. You know, some days it might have been twenty bucks. Some days it might have been. 200. But did that embolden you to then go on a solo professional music career instead of it just being something you did at your house? Totally. That after doing that for so long, I knew there was no way I could ever go back. I was, you know, I was already privy to it or I was already ruined. Yeah. One of the two. You got you know? the bug. The same thing yeah. happened to me with production, man. Yeah. When I was in LA just doing, you know, odd jobs to get by and do my acting classes and go to, you know, go to, go to school ultimately. And all that, I got a, you know, I got a production job paid a hundred bucks a day for, I think it was 12 to 14 hour flat, 12 to 14 hours flat, hundred dollars, go do it, enjoy yourself. And I did. And it, it was like, okay, this isn't, you know, this is, this is work. It's money, whatever, but I can do like, th I can do this for a living and but, th there's but, no going back from here. Yeah. And then you started being attentive. Yeah. And then you started looking and you seen maybe, I don't know this to be true, but I'm just guessing the way it happened with me, I just start looking and thinking and well, this guy's doing it and he's raising a yeah. family. He's got a nice car. Yeah. He's got a house. And maybe know, it's overconfidence this, or whatever, that. but you look and you're like, why not me? <clears throat> why, can, why, can, why can't I yeah. do that? That guy that guy can do it. I mean, Absolutely. Surely I can do it. Absolutely. I remember coming in and telling my, my mom and dad, you know, that I was going to do this, that I was going to leave my job. I was writing service at the time. Oh, yeah, at the uh, uh, car dealership? Yeah, I'd been, I'd been in and out of the car business a, a few times and – and then it done, you know, it just, oh my God. We just need a podcast on crappy jobs Mike McGill's done in his life. It, it would take up three oh, hours, man, I'm you sure. You were telling me the other day when we met up at a Trailhead about selling cars. Yeah. And about, like, you kind of got into it and got good at it, right? Yeah, I was good at it. How, that that's, uh, doesn't surprise me, first off. <laughs> But you were telling me about taking people on a test drive and driving them to the most idyllic neighborhood. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you had a couple and they were, you know, if you know, you had some. You, I had somewhere. I had somewhere for every type of customer. I felt like that I could I could put them in a certain spot to where they could take some sort of mental ownership they could see themselves 
that was their house. They were getting ready to drive up, put it in the garage, do the deal, and yeah. So you had so you identified these archetypes of people and said this is a this is a, a, a Sequoia Hills couple. I, I'll I'll take them over to Sequoia yeah. Park. Yeah, for sure. Do the walk around in the cul-de-sac in front of that for sure mansion and get him for sure That's because smart. I wasn't going to be I wasn't going to be that guy. Kingston Pike was lined with car dealerships first of all. Yeah. And they were also lined with those guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and the first thing you think of uh First thing a person does when they get out of a vehicle at a car lot is they, they've already got boxing gloves on and they know they're getting ready to have to go 10 rounds with Mike Tyson. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're yeah. already so guarded, so uptight. They've heard all the shit, you know, well, it's my manager, you know, yeah. if you could do this, would you do that? You know, yeah. I'll go check and see, but I don't, you know, all that game. So I didn't want to be that guy, you know. I wanted to be able to be, oh, shucks, Mike McGill, you know. Come on, buy Don't make – I'll tell you a good one. Don't make me the nicest person you've never bought a vehicle from. <laughs> you know, I've looked across the table and just go, what is it? Do you not like me? You know, what are they going to say? No, I hate your guts. No, they're going to say, well, yeah, you've been really nice. You've been professional. You've been, all right, then don't make me the nicest guy you've never bought a car from. So you put the hammer clothes on him, too, Well, Mike. yeah, but but guilt. <laughs> I mean, hell, I was raised up Southern Baptist with a mother <laughs> that could guilt you into anything. You kidding me? It was, yeah, it was total guilt clothes. Every time was that eighty five percent of your clothes? Was that fifty percent no, of your? No, every everything's different, you know. Uh, well, we want to go check the prices on this. Well, you've done said you work three jobs, you know. You're married. You got three kids. When are you gonna have the time to run to Anderson County, Blunt County, and then come back to Knox County and buy something? You know. Yeah, let's just go ahead. Let's and do just it. do the deal, man. Yeah, save you some time. You think you're getting a good deal? Well, yeah, it's a pretty good deal. I said, I'll just sign the damn thing. Let's get this over with. You'll be in your new car. You'll be with your wife. She'll be happy. Everybody's happy. I'll be happy. I can feed my kid tonight. You know? Did did that? Uh, did, did you ever have to have any of that uh, uh, sales to your game at the at the uh, at the timeshare music gig? When you were, or was was somebody else dealing with all that? Oh, you no, were just no, trying no, no, to be no. the good entertainment. I was just selling me. You were selling you. Yeah. I mean, and virtually that's what you're doing. That's what I was doing in that business as well. You know, I mean, if you had enough, you know, the, I felt like the biggest thing that the first car lot I ever went to was Beatty Chevrolet. I'd had a back injury. At like 26, didn't know what I was going to do. I was working for an x-ray company at the time. Working for an x-ray company and yeah. had a back injury? Well, yeah. hell, that's like spilling gravy on a brown shirt, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I Big mean, you got, you got lucky there. <laughs> Did Big they, time. they give give you a little pro bono, a uh, little, little free x-ray, a little MRI? Oh, hell no. <laughs> no. No, I was the guy driving the truck. 
full of fixer and developer, you know, when it was still dark rooms and yeah. and heavy ass cases of film and yeah. handling, you know, ten to fifteen thousand pounds a day by hand. It wasn't digital at that point. No. You were you were, you were loading up uh photo supplies ultimately yes. on a very large scale. A very large scale. And um so I thought, well hell, I'll just go sell cars. I didn't know what else you gonna do. So I went, I got the job, and they basically gave me a lockbox key and a license plate and said, go go sell as many as you can, son. Yeah. Kill what you eat. I didn't know. Or eat what you kill. Dick about, no, I didn't know shit from apple butter, as the old hillbillies say. Yeah. I didn't know nothing about it. I didn't know. No training? No I, nothing? No training. Didn't yeah. know what engines was in what. Didn't know what options were on this one or why the, you know, last year's model was different from this one. What improvements? Cruising range, gas mileage. Didn't know none of that stuff, you know. So it's kind of like going bear hunting with a switch, you know. <laughs> you know. You whack the bear and it's like turns around and it's like, yeah, you better have a damn gun, you know, but you didn't. So then when I got with uh, Toyota Knoxville, uh, I had a wonderful guy, uh, Randy Loveday was my sales manager there. And man, he loaded me for bear. He taught me, you know, that product knowledge was king. And that's what I felt like I had different on these other guys, you know. Um, but also the, so that helped selling me. yourself too, right? <laughs> yeah, for I mean, sure. That was the, that was probably your, you know, your bachelor's degree in selling Mike McGill. Yeah. Yeah. Realizing that you are a brand or you are, a you know, people deal with you because they like you. I, I think that people like to do business with people that they like. I think that that is probably almost as important to a lot of people as getting a good deal on something. I, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, knowing that they're being taken care of by somebody. Yeah, you definitely get – you definitely would get those customers that um, they were just they were just happy. You know, whether, whether you knew you were – you had more room to come off of something or whether you didn't, if they're happy and they're ready, then – you know, what are you going to do? No, I'll save you another $500, you know. But but so that translated then to when you started a music career is that you realized that there's one thing people are coming here for and there's one people that one reason that people are going to pay money for me and it's if they like yeah. me and what I'm doing. It just it seems pretty parallel to me. Yeah, it is. Because you said that about the, <laughs> the, the timeshare thing. It's why, yeah, you were in a band or in a small group. Yeah. Uh playing at the the kill floor is what you said the first yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the first time you the came up. Crime the share. Yeah. <laughs> they were waiting to go up to the kill floor. Uh well you're you, there But you were building a Mike McGill persona. You were Well it was a lot like a car business. People were already on guard. They were already pretty upset that they were there at eight thirty in the morning or ten o'clock in the morning. And they know what's coming. They know they're not gonna buy anything. God, so what was that like? You know so how I mean? did they get people in there to be – so so they, they they get these people from Ohio to come decide to sit in a room and listen to listen to a timeshare pitch? Yeah. And they have you as the – you and your band as the variety show, the Smoky Mountain variety show? Yeah. 
we come out and put on the whole hillbilly stick, you know, and they would look at, look like a calf staring at a new gate, you know, like where'd this come from? Where did these <laughs> four guys just come out here and busted into some crazy hillbilly, you know, I bet it added to the something. experience so much for, Oh, it's definitely a big shock value as well as, you know, we were good. Right. So we could back it up. So, but you know, we, we did every, <laughs> we did every stereotypical hillbilly, all shucks, you know, how'd you sleep last night? I didn't sleep at all. I mean, or I slept like a baby. Slept like a log. I slept like a log. Yeah. I woke up in the fireplace half lit this morning. You yeah. Know? <laughs> How'd your taters turn out? They didn't turn out at all. We had to dig them out, you know, just yeah. corn, K-O-R-N, corn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hee-haw, you know, that whole. This road to go to Nashville? I don't know. I've been standing here all day. I hadn't seen it go anywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, it was. It was a lot of selling yourself. And I had a really good teacher in a lot of that stuff, too, because my brother had been uh, one of the founding members of the Kingdom Heirs. So they were working. What's that? Uh, it was a Southern Gospel Quartet. Ah. And they were the number one attraction at Dollywood for like 20 years. And who I mean, was that? The Kingdom Heirs. Your brother? Yeah, my brother. Okay. So I seen their show. I seen them work a crowd. I I learned that that part of entertainment 101 from, from them, you know. And... um you know, and I'd write my own stuff, but I'd also borrow from stuff that you know was proven, you know, of turning turning an audience to like you. Yeah. You know. Did you get to go to go and see your brother's uh, band play at Dollywood a lot? Cause yeah. I probably mean, wasn't like too crazy expensive to get into back then. And no, we, we could get in for $100 a day now. Yeah, we could get in for free back in those days. Really? You know, with ride with them and stuff like that. Um, and then I would go off, you know, when they were out of season, I would I would travel with them on the road and stuff to all the different little singing conventions or churches, and I'd buck gear for them, you know. And they had a bus, which was really ultra cool, you know, big silver eagle, and I'm a little – toe-headed kid running around you know well i don't think we've really talked about your your brother before on the podcast i didn't know that he was he was a musician too was he did he uh yeah. kind of pave the way for you at all or? uh yeah definitely definitely a hero you know i mean one of those guys still is to this day um um yeah i was probably about 11 or 12 and uh you know, started going to stuff with him and knowing, um, uh, I didn't know that I could do it necessarily or that, that that's what I should shoot for. But, you know, I would sit in the, I'd sit and listen to their tapes and I'd sing the bass part. And then I'd learn the baritone part. Then I'd learn the lead part. Then I'd learn the tenor part. You're you like know? the best understudy ever. You're just waiting in the wings, yeah, knowing all their stuff, ready sure. to, ready to roll. When your number's called for sure you know 
I was like, if one of them just ever got sick, I could do that, you know? <laughs> I remember thinking that every once did in a while. Did you really? Yeah, for sure. So you did have the understudy mentality. Yeah. Next man up. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> great. I get, now that I think about it, you know, I, I didn't think about that before, but uh, yeah, totally did. Did that... Uh, did, how how long into your did your brother's professional music career overlap with yours at all? Mm-hmm. Or is he still playing? <laughs> oh, pardon me. It's all right. <laughs> Bourbon good, cigar good. Um, yes, it did overlap a little bit. Um, he was. He was kind of getting out of it about the time I was getting into it. Gotcha. But um, did that discourage you at all to see like <laughs> your your brother who you kind of looked up to playing playing music as a professional and and he was kind of turning it in right as you had decided that it could be a a career no, for you? No, not really because he had he had decided that that he was going to go into the ministry. A pretty pretty easy leap, yeah. Easy step from yeah. from uh, kingdom heirs, and he went out on his terms. You know, as far as um, as far as when he left. So, so yeah, no, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't like he. It wasn't like the dream died. It was just like he moved on to another. Yeah, another. I thing. think so. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't watch a brother who plugged away, had a career, and then. You know, wasn't able to convert it into yeah, or it real. was snatched away from him or something like that. Right. No, it wasn't anything like that. I mean, he just did. He had just gotten to a point, and he had small children at the time. That'll my, that'll help you make decisions. My two nephews, you know, so he wasn't. Uh, you know, there's a lot of good comes out of there out of like Sevier County when you're doing when you're doing uh, when you've got gigs like that. There's a lot of stability. There's a lot of, you know, it helped me raise a child as a single dad. What did? Uh, having that job because I was home. I could take her to school every morning and I could be there when I. Your first music job. Yeah. Much. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I mean, which. And who in the hell gets to do that? Not everybody gets to do that. I was going to say, who, you know? who in the hell gets to, gets to, who says my first music job provided me stability? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I was going to say this earlier. When I came home and told my mom and dad that I was that I was leaving my my deal and I was going to go up there and start doing that, you know, my dad was like, "You're crazy. Yeah, what are you going to do that for? Where's the you know, where's the stability? Where's the loyalty? Where's where's, where's all this and blah yeah. blah blah blah?" And I'm like, "Well, dad, you know, loyalty went out the window 15 years ago in your career. Yeah, you know, so that." That ship sailed. I, I was at least had enough foresight to to see that, you know, uh, of somebody that had worked somewhere all their life and then, you know, couldn't advance anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and the and so you're getting a gold watch and chain. Did, you know what I mean? Did your dad? Because I think when you know on one of the podcasts when you were here before, didn't you say that your dad couldn't read and write? Is that is that right? He had a sixth grade education, yeah. Okay, so he could read and write, but he... well, yeah. But I remember sitting at the table teaching my dad fractions. Really? Yeah. So, 
So he, you know, and you got to think about this. This was many, many, many years ago, you know, for him. I mean, he was born in 34. So by the time, you know, and his parents were sharecroppers. So by the time he got up, it was, he was big enough to work. School, well, we got to feed people, you yeah. know, we got, we got crops to tend to. We got, so he quit school to start working on the family yeah, farm. Yeah. Well, on another family's farm, wasn't my family's farm because they were sharecroppers. Yeah. Farming but, somebody else's land. Yeah. Yeah. To survive. Yeah. But yes. And uh and then as as he got older, he was working at um down in Fountain City when they were building the 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 water plant in Fountain City. Yeah, and he impressed somebody that he was working with. He impressed Is that right? he impressed the guy who was over it all. And he asked him if he could, you know, read and write and do arithmetic. And my dad said, Yeah, which he could, but probably couldn't well. Yeah. And he got the opportunity. So, and then he advanced for years and years all the way up and was a plant operator. So he was in charge of the entire yeah. city water At supply. Riverside Drive, right? Yeah. 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 So was there ever a, uh, with you coming to your parents and saying that you were going to start this music career, was this, was it ever, I don't know, did your parents feel like they were putting you guys out there to, to, uh, to do the things that they couldn't, or did they get any value themselves uh, in any vicarious appreciation out of out of you and your brother going out there and doing great things? Was that uh, a big deal to them, or did they just want you guys to stand on your own two feet? I, I think it was. I think that. I mean, if I'm understanding your question correct, <clears throat> I think they were very proud of us. Yeah, you know that. Um, you know that we stayed true and we, and we, we followed what we thought we were supposed to do. Yeah. Which was not in my dad's world was not something that was possible because like you said earlier, who in the world would think their first job in music would be stability Yeah, or would be something that could, um, you know, that would get you through, you know, um, but in my case, I think that took a little longer for my dad to get, but, um, through the years as he got older, um, you know, my mom was telling me this the other day, uh, actually, um, that, you know, when, when people would ask about his kids, um, you know, he made no difference between us. He always, you know, told people about each one of us, but he always said that, you know, that Mike was the most talented. <laughs> <laughs> so the old man got something right. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't know if I can argue with him. You're still in the business. Yeah. You're still doing I mean, it. You know, um, so, um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was interesting. Um, but like I said, after, after I did it for a few years, I knew I would never, I'd never be able to go back to 
that civilian world. Punching the clock again. Yeah. So when you did decide to set out on your own, would, did, was it me and a guitar and let's, <laughs> let's go do it? Or was it, I'm going to have to put a band together or what was the, what was kind of the order of operations as far as making a career out of, you know, think, out of music? I think it was a lot of good timing and just being attentive and learning a lot and realizing that you could be happy that this was feasible and so I played up there for almost six years, I guess it was. And I left there burnout, hated it, didn't want anything to do job. with music again. Really? For a little while. So and it, I started, did, it didn't just light a fire under you to go out and, and, and start this burgeoning music career. It was no, like, I had to start swinging the hammer again. Really? And that, and that. That lit to fire. Yeah. Oh, oh, wait. Music is better. Because that guitar neck felt a hell of a lot better in my hand than that that damn hammer did. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I started, I'd always been writing a little bit here and there, but I was always, um, I was always such a mimic and I always covered things and I always knew that everything I'd done, I'd been successful at doing other things, uh, other other songs and stuff. I had never done any of my stuff a lot. Yeah. The, the covers always did great. Right. Yeah. So when that happened, um, I'd went to my 20 year high school reunion and I, uh, ran into, uh, a guy, Jimmy's boy. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ran into Jimmy's son, Robbie. And, um, he had one joint. He had one joint. Yeah. yeah. I remember this story. Oh shit. I've done told it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had one joint. And he's like, "You still get stoned?" And I said, "Yeah, man, every chance I get." <laughs> and uh, he's like, "Well, where do we go smoke this?" And I said, "Well, you just got one joint with you?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "We'll smoke it any damn where we want to smoke it." Yeah, just stop it out. You can't get busted with one. Uh. Uh-uh. <clears throat> said, "Worst comes worst, we'll eat it." You know. Yeah. So um, we kind of hit it off, and the next thing I know, um. His dad owned a little pub down off Tazzle Pike, and uh, his Thursday nights were slow, and he said, come down and play for me. And uh, and I went down there, and I started playing my stuff, and it was just me and a guitar and a little neighborhood cash bar, 37 TVs on the wall, nobody giving two flying shits what the hell I was doing. And for whatever reason, it got over, man. I worked hard enough and made people like me. And I guess I didn't realize know, that Jimmy's was, was... Kept me alive for four or five years. Yeah. yeah. I I don't think I realized that that was, uh, that that was such a, a, a pivotal moment, too. I mean, It I was that, a huge moment. Yeah. I mean, it gave me a lot. I mean... You're uh, getting your 10,000 hours of, of mastery in. Yeah. Know? Well, it was the first time I'd ever played solo, you know, so that was a big enough challenge as it was. And then being in that, you know, being in that arena, I guess you could say, it was, you know, fight or flight, you know. And you said one time when you were here, it was kind of, you kind of brought your variety show days with you too. You had to fill the space in between the songs. Oh, yeah, because I didn't have to act. Yeah, because it was the only way I was gonna, I was only gonna get 
you know, I didn't have enough and I didn't have enough chops to, to fill up three hours or whatever to it was. pull it all. Yeah. yeah. It, what would you say when you were here? You said, uh, tip jars right there, guys. I mean, I could be out robbing your house right yeah, now, but I don't I'm... have to be doing this shit for a living. <laughs> I could be out robbing your house right now. <laughs> yeah. I love it when kids come up and put money in the tip bucket. Really? Yeah. At a smoking bar? <laughs> no, not at a smoking bar. <laughs> Damn, I can't take you nowhere. What does that no, happen? like say like uh well at like if you're room? at a patio gig or you're at a yeah. you know you're outside or or you're at a, a an all ages or a, a venue or something like that and you know a little kid comes up and puts money in the yeah you know and the classic is uh hey man this kid just put a, this kid just dropped a twenty in here and he ain't even got a job <laughs> what's the rest of you assholes problem you know I probably don't say asshole because there's a little kid there but. But yeah, there's just, you know, <laughs> I collect, uh, some folks collect, uh, baseball cards. Some folks collect, uh, stamps. I collect, um, pictures of dead presidents and you got a wallet full of them. So help me add to my collection. You know, I like that. It's, it's a soft sell. Yeah. It's, it's not, just enough to put it, to make them approachable think. at yeah. that point. Um, I don't need your money. It's just all the people I owe need your money, yeah. you know, <laughs> so you got those some kind of things. And that's the thing. You play, you know, a uh, hundred dates a year at a, at a certain place. You get to work out material like this. Well, yeah, those, you know, everybody thinks it's, you're this rock star, you're doing this. Oh God, you get to do this and you get to do what you love. And, and, you know, 75% of that, of what you're doing, of what you love and all this stuff is, you know, it ain't no different than. You know, the guy on the old Dunkin' Donuts commercial where he gets up and it's time to make the donuts. Yeah. Time to make the donuts. Swing a hammer? Yeah. So, you know, not all of it's, it's a job. What is Jimmy's now on, uh, is it Dakota's or something like that? Well, it was. Why do they insist on keeping that place a bar? Well, I mean, what else? I mean, it's, it's perfectly located for, you know that north side of town for that you know for that it's up off broadway uh, taswell family bar you know so i uh or neighborhood bar sure i i went there uh i've been there one time and uh aside from the hilarious things that i heard from some of the patrons there oh yeah uh one of the things that stuck with me is a lot of them had driven in from like uh union county because mm-hmm. it was the closest place to get a drink, uh, in between Middlesbrough or in between Bubba's Brews, which is up on the lake. Yeah, you know, and and we had a lot of people from Halls. Yeah, that would come you know, down Union County, um, on you know this side of the county line and stuff like that. Um, and but, then on Thursday nights, you know, at the time they had the. Uh, Quaker Steak and Lube was a uh, was ah, a was yeah. a big thing. And Where was had, that up off Merchants? Off Merchants, and they had yeah. a bike night. Ah, so they'd have two or three hundred bikes, you know, in the parking lot over there, and we'd get a lot of those. We get a lot of the bikers and stuff would come through there. Of course, when they seen me, beard, tattoos, long hair, bandana, yeah, you know, felt comfortable. Yeah, they kind of you know, and I was singing old school 
country stuff and rock and roll and mixing my stuff in with it at that, you know, as it progressed. Um, so it was kind of a, a natural fit there. What for a I while. noticed the first time I went and there. I wouldn't take no shit off. None of them. Well, to, I was, I was so. going to say is it, it had, it had an edge to it. Jimmy's oh, yeah. had a, a, a rough edge to it. Oh yeah. But everybody I talked to the one time that I went there that were clearly regulars. Yeah. They had a tough outer shell. Yeah. And once you started talking to them, they were the nicest people. Yeah. You might ever talk to you in your entire life. Jimmy had a, Jimmy had a sign at the, up at the bar that said, um, "Life's tough, and it's tougher when you're stupid." Yeah, is that a John Wayne quote? Yeah, it's a John Wayne quote. Yeah, and then uh, be nice or be nice or go home. You know yeah. that was. Uh, um, but you know, I mean, oh, there was a few things happened in there. I was going to say, what'd you see? Did you see, uh, see anything crazy? There was one night. There was some. Uh, there was some outlaws came in the biker gang. You know, there was a uh, from the Quaker State motorci- Motorcycle Club, the MC, I should say, not the biker gang. Yeah, they had so, the jackets yeah. on with the uh, club colors. I believe yeah, they call it on the there back was, of your jacket. They were co- They were all supporting their colors and uh, or sporting their colors rather. And, um, and then there was, uh, there was another group and then there was another MC. There was about three or four different MCs in there at some times. MCs are, uh, motorcycle clubs. Yeah. And, uh, and one night it started kind of, you know, I, you know, I had the view from this side of the microphone. So, and I had my back to the wall. So I seen in all directions of what was happening at the time, you know, I seen the guy had had too much and had his head laying on the bar and the old gal who was trying to get lucky. And then, you know, the guy that was, you know, clearly out of his league and trying to get lucky. And then, and then all these guys and, uh, you know, I could tell something was kind of getting ready to go down. See the mood change a little bit in the room. Yeah. And I thought, Oh shit, I better. You're probably the only guy that saw it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> From your view on the stage. <clears throat> so I thought, well, I better be ready. You know, I always had an exit strategy uh, or a plan on how, you know, because there was no stage. You know, you were just on the floor, so anybody could walk up. So I would set my I'd set my tip bucket up on in front of a stool in front of me and kind of make a little bit of a barricade to where – they just couldn't just walk right up on you. They weren't going to wander into your space. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, one thing led to another. And, uh, you know, I think I heard somebody say, you guys take that shit outside, you know. And so there's those big glass windows all across the front of it. Sure. You know? And to my left, um, these guys were standing out there. And I just heard, thump, 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 and, and heard, Boom, 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 boom. And it was this guy's fist <laughs> hitting this dude in the face about three times in the back of his head, hitting off the window. Oh, no. Yeah. And they were from opposing clubs. And um, so. Um, opposing MCs. Opposing <laughs> MCs. And uh, so, I don't know. There was probably two or three of the regulars ran out there and kind of. Or, I don't know if it was regulars that broke it up or maybe other guys that were a part of the, you know, the different clubs kind of broke it up and everything. And the next thing I know, 
like within five minutes. I mean, seemed like it at the time. It was probably 10 or 15, but seemed like it was just almost immediate. Here came the, uh, you know, the, uh, the grand poobah, if you will, or the club president of the outlaws who, you know, in motorcycle club, um, they govern all of them. Ah, so he's he's over yeah. all of them. Yeah. So like if you and I were going to start a just a riding club, wasn't even going to be an MC, we would have to get permission. Huh. If you were actually going to do that here, you'd have to get permission from the outlaws to to be able to do really? that. Really? Yes. It's organized crime. Well, there so, you go. So Look how you, smart Ben is. Well, if you and I want, if, <laughs> so if you and I want to put jackets on and ride our motorcycles around together, we yep. got to get. Yeah, if get you're some... going to have a patch and your name and all that, really? Yep. Yeah. No shit. I'm being dead serious. And the next thing I know, that guy comes in, and he's like dressing them down in the parking lot. And by this time, I'm just like, I'm out of here. Have I'm, you been playing? Through I'm this taking whole time? a break. I'll be back in 20 minutes, folks. You know, <laughs> we're two weeks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whichever one comes first, right? <laughs> um, you know, but by the end of it, he's he's dressed them down, and you're going to do this, and this one's going to do, and yep. And then you know, next thing you know, they all come back in, they buy each other beers, and shake hands, and that was it. Man, and that guy stayed there the rest of the night too. To after where, getting his head bounced off the window. No, no, the the the, the president, <laughs> yeah, the grand poobah. He stayed there the rest of the night, and there wasn't no bullshit went down the well, rest of the night. I, I would say that's actually probably not that bad as far as stories like that could go. Oh no, no, absolutely not. I went into a uh, a, a restaurant in like I don't know Cookville or Crossville somewhere in the plateau middle of the state. And went to have like a burger in the middle of the day, pulled over to, you know, found a, a mm-hmm. place to eat. And on the wall, when you walked in or on the door, it says no club colors allowed inside. Mm-hmm. So they don't even allow you to wear your jackets in there. Mm-hmm. So if you're part of a motorcycle riding club or motorcycle club, you're not even, you're not allowed to, to, uh, to show that. Yeah. Because they don't even want that bullshit. No, they don't want any chance of, you know, any kind of altercation or any kind of trouble going down it's it's crazy to me that it all is is you know governed by one kind of you know entity yeah but it's all these different factions yeah you know that's that's that's, feels like the wwe to me almost you know it's like i'll tell you a few more stories off the air yeah i wouldn't want (laughs) to i wouldn't want to incriminate anybody no Uh, because it's real yeah and i didn't know that you know, all you people out there, it's, you know, you've watched Sons of Anarchy or you ride your Harley on the weekend. You got Bought your leather t-shirt. chaps and your blah, blah, blahs. That's this shit is real. I, I had and a guy. it still goes on. Had a guy on the podcast who is a prominent <sighs> television uh, executive. And he, uh, I asked him a question about dealing with Hell's Angels because he had, he had done a television show about mm. Hell's Angels and had, of course, gotten into some drama throughout the production process and the, 
you know, getting it put out on the, on the, uh, you know, getting it distributed, getting, getting final sign off from everybody involved to yeah. air this on television. And we talked about it. And after, after we talked about it, he was like, Hey man, uh, can you cut that part out? Because I don't want that getting back to, yeah, man. I don't want what I said getting back to. It's real brother. Yeah. It's real I, shit. It's kind of nuts. Cause I, I'm, I, that's yeah. so far away from, yeah. From, you know, the world that yeah. th- that I exist in and probably that most people exist in to where, you know, you watch Sons of Anarchy and you think it's completely, uh, yeah. you know. I was, I was driving fictitious. to a gig. I was driving to a gig one time down, uh, I think it was towards West Tennessee somewhere, you know, I was, was on 40 and I was, you know, uh, going to a solo show, just me <clears throat> and, um. There's this motorcycle guy, and he's just on my ass, you know. And before I even think or really get that close of a look, you know, I kind of thought, well, I'll just slow down. I'll get over. I'm not going to be a complete, you know, tap my brakes asshole, you know, or anything like that. I'll get over, but um, I'm going to take my sweet time doing it, you know, just because. And, uh, man, this dude got closer and he looked like a goddamn gorilla on the, riding that motorcycle. He's the biggest son bitch I ever seen in my life. Really? I've seen some big guys. Face covered up. Oh, sunglasses dude, just, on. he looked like a gorilla. I mean, the size of a silverback gorilla riding his Harley. And he pulled up beside me and looked at me and I was just like, uh, <clears throat> <laughs> sorry, bud. You know, threw my hand up, and as he drove by, there's that patch, and it was he was an outlaw, and I thought, God Almighty, what if I'd have thrown the bird at him or told him to fuck off or you know, you know what I mean, you know what you do. I mean, I've seen this thing. You know, would you in an elevator stand there? I've seen this Louis C.K. thing the other day, and he was talking about you know some of the things you'll say and do and the way you'll act when you're driving. When you're driving, yeah. Versus if you were standing beside someone in the elevator and tell them to eat shit and die. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing with internet comments. Yeah. Oh, exactly. It becomes a little more faceless, and you're you get braver. Yeah. But, you know, what if, what if, you know, I would have, you know, thought about being a a, a jackass, you know, uh, and made some kind of gesture. I mean, you know, I remember who, who a few knows? years ago, I saw this video of it was in Manhattan, I'm pretty sure. And it was a motorcycle gang that had rolled up on like a. They were all sitting in traffic and there was a Range Rover or something like that, like a luxury SUV. And there was some kind of fender bender or something, you know, the car ran into the motorcycle. One of the motorcycles ran into the car Mm -hmm. and, uh, the, the guys in the, in, in the, in the riding club had taken exception to whatever happened and got off their bikes and walked up to the Range Rover and started taunting him or whatever. And the guy got scared and then, you know, ran into a couple of the guys or something. Yeah. Boy, Been, that turned bad real fast. Yeah. 
you know, a group of guys on motorcycles that, you know, a, a Range Rover is just, you know, rubbed up against and yeah. And you got a bun you got a bad situation on your hands. You well, got to be careful. Absolutely. You better, yeah. Um so after after Jimmy sold the bar, you know, it went to Dakota's. And then I think to answer your question, I think it's I think it's called Hat Makers now. Okay. But you know, there was a there was a big shooting and stuff that happened down there. Really? I don't know when it was. Is at least you know it was a year or two ago. But there was three or four people got killed. You know, and it was, you know. So you know this uh, gentleman's club down the road <laughs> yeah. right here. Yeah, the ball. Have you read about that shit? I have. Yeah. Somebody Crazy. got shot with a crossbow in the parking lot. Yeah. And there was, you know, I guess a year's worth of, of violence and all kinds of crazy shit yeah. happening over there. Our neighborhood, you know, Facebook page has been worried to death about it because somebody got in an altercation over there where shots were fired with a gun. Yeah. And somebody ran into the neighborhood just to, you know, hide or whatever. Yeah. It's like that stuff is a public nuisance. And then they what closed happens. it down. And then reopened it under new management. And I haven't it happened, seen it open. It I, happened, well, it was like open like a day or two. And somebody, and then they had another big, I don't know if it was a shooting or if it was just a um, a big fight or what had happened. But yeah, it totally happened again. Well, it's crazy that you have these places that just are magnets for that kind of behavior. Yeah. And there's, that stuff doesn't need to happen. I mean, yeah. I, I understand that people need a place to hang out and people need a place to, you know, blow off steam and, and get together as a group of people. But, you know, you, you can't start breaking the law. You can't start hurting people. You can't start getting the machismo going in the parking lot and starting fights and all that. That's how that's how a good time gets ruined. Well, Always. It, it, it totally is. But and, could you imagine getting in a fight right now, Mike? No. But what would it take for you to punch somebody in the face? I would. You know what I mean? I'd I know. I'd run over them with my damn car. I'm too fat. <laughs> I'm too old to even. I, I got to go home tonight. But you know I thought what I mean? about that the other day. Somebody was, you know, oh yeah, talking no. about the, you know, scuffling and, and getting fights and all that. I'm no. like, what? What would it take? Like, why? Why is this? Why is this happening? If no. you're grown up, like this is a 16 year old's game, getting your, in all these bullshit fights. Your first, well, it's cause they're 16, it's cause they're 20, it's cause they're 30, they're full of piss and vinegar, and unfortunately, as much as we can't, um, we don't need this kind of thing happening in in life and in the wor- in real world in real instances. There's also a large percentage of people that don't understand that there is consequences for your actions. We don't always see it get delivered in the news or in real world events, but you know, you run your mouth or you think you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. There's always going to be somebody out there. that's going to put you in your damn place. It's just so far away from, from where I'm at. And from oh, what, well me too. What, what I, what I see and, and, you know, it, it but, it's nice to be insulated from that at yeah, some point. Oh, but I remember absolutely. being sixteen and eighteen, and, yeah. and looking for a fight. 
Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And there's still people out there who are, who are doing that. Yeah. And it's it's not good for anybody, but I'm glad to be away from it and, and glad to, to not see it happening a lot. Yeah, me as well. I, I don't want to. I, I couldn't. No. There's your first line of defense is to get away in any situation, whether it's hand to hand or it's, or it's, that's your first way to stay out of trouble is to get away. That is probably why I have stayed out of trouble my entire life is because (laughs) when I see some awkward shit going down, my instinct is to not be a part of it. Absolutely. That will. And you'll stay alive a lot longer <laughs> and have a lot less lumps on your head. <laughs> few, few fewer uh, uh, crossbow wounds. Yeah. <laughs> acting that way. So I'll tell you a funny story. Okay. I've been waiting for this. Yeah. Uh, about gigs, you know. Uh, so, you know, you go to some of the damnedest places, you know, and all you're doing is trying to make that 100 bucks, you know, or that 150 bucks to. You know, hundred dollars a day keeps the doctor away. It yeah. ain't no damn apple. It's a hundred bucks a day, right? You know, it's, it's probably a hundred and ten now with inflation. Well, but it, it yeah. totally is. Yeah. But but for sake of the story, yeah. you know, it, it round when numbers. you're when you're coming up through it, you know, yeah. it's just you're just trying to make your money and and go on about your business, right? So I get a call from these guys one time and uh. uh Say, so, hey, we got a gig up at the uh, front porch up in Newport, and we need a front man. You available? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm off. I can come do it. What's the pay? You know, I think it's 150 bucks, 100 bucks, 100 bucks a dinner plus your tips. You know, and you usually would walk out there with a couple hundred bucks at the end of the night. Yeah. So for three or four hours, you know. Not a not a bad way to make you make you a little bit of cash. Hundred right? bucks an hour, not bad. Right. So uh, I I get in my truck and head up that way and uh, get there and uh, uh, I see all the guys. I know them. You know, I've played with them off and on throughout the years and bunch. You know, all bunch of good guys. And um, so we go in. We set up. We get everything, you know, get going, go through the first set. Everything's good. Have a couple of beers, you know, set break, walk out, walk out to the parking lot, get tuned up. Yeah. A little tune up. Never hurt anybody. A little tune up, you know. And uh, this guy takes a sack of weed out and he rolls a joint as big as this brandy sniffer here we're <laughs> drinking out of. I mean, it's as big as my damn arm. <laughs> You know, you hear people say, well, it's as big as my thumb. And it's as big as my arm. <laughs> and then after he rolls it, there's, you know, there's probably a quarter ounce still laying on the hood that he just rolled it on. Yeah. And he just takes his hand and goes, wipes it and just wipes pavement. it into the pavement. You know, and I'm just sitting there thinking, man, I could have got four High joints for a month. Out. yeah I could, I, this is you could have paid me with that you know <laughs> so we go back in and uh we're we're playing and out of nowhere so when you came into that restaurant you came through this little uh this little back entryway or side kind of a side door entryway 
and you you came through there and then you turned left again and you went out into the main dining room and the stage was um on that back wall to where of this entryway and we were sitting there playing a song and i just i went you know start i just smelt something it's just oh god it smelled like you know a dump truck full of dead possums i mean it smelled awful really just god awful and i'm thinking Man, what the hell's going on? There's people eating in here, and I mean, I'm I'm going to eat dinner here tonight. What the? Where is that coming from? In walks this group of people, and I don't know. I I, I said they were the Rainbow Coalition of the Mountain People. I don't know. It's some hills had eyes shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> weird, fucking weird. They come in. And their leader, I guess this is their leader, he's got barbed wire tattooed across his forehead from one side to the other. And this is way before Post Malone and all these face tat face tat bullshit yeah. that yeah. everybody thinks so cool these days. Yeah. And and man, their hair is matted and that's where the smell was coming from. And you could smell them when they walked walked in the door. Were they rippies? You know about redneck hippies, dude. <laughs> you call them you call them flippies if you want to. I'm telling you, they smelt like a dump truck of dead possums. I mean, it was awful. They were nasty, dirty, hair all matted. This dude had a wire tattoo across his forehead and had a knife, had a big Bowie knife strapped to his leg off his belt. And there was three or four girls. There was him. There was another couple of guys. And then there was this big old fat dude. I mean, this guy like made King Kong Bundy look like a poster child for anorexia. (laughs) Big, big guy. They get in there and they're having the time of their life, you know. And I don't know if this was legal uh, not legal, frowned upon, welcomed or whatever. But, you know, you're in Cock County. There's always going to be somebody. There's there's going to be a jar coming around at some point. A moonshine? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we're up there. <clears throat> They're having the time of their life. And the next, you know, we get through another set. They're still there. We get back up and we're playing again. The dead possum community. The dead possum rainbow <laughs> coalition kids. I don't know what the hell it was, man. This is the damnedest thing I'd ever seen in my life. We get up there, and this big old fat guy evidently had gotten way too deep into the jar. And he passed out right in the middle of the floor. And all these dirty hippie flippy trippies rippies whatever you want to call them we're just dancing having just partying like hell you know all around him. all around him over the top of him they'd jump him i don't know if it's a game or what see who could jump the fat guy the most or what <laughs> you know it's like and you know and we're just sitting there on stage like what the what the hell's going on this is some Twilight Zone shit, man. I don't. I ain't never seen nothing like it in my life. So I guess this was the second set because we only did three sets. So we went out on break on the second set, 
And I'm, I swear to you, Ben, the smell was, I mean, it just overtook the entire restaurant. And this place would seat 100 people. You know, it wasn't like it was a little bitty. Right. You know, it said it said 100. We get back out to the outside to tune up, and we're all just like, what the hell was this? Where did these people come from, you know? Were you hoping they'd be gone when you went back inside? Yeah. <laughs> hoping you know, I'd hope they'd be gone and there was a you know a team of people with hazmat suits coming in there with some bleach or something to, to defumigate yeah the joint. it was awful we're sitting out there getting tuned up and here they come they come walking out all of them and there's like you know there's probably eight of them total in the group and they're leading baby Huey out you know out through the parking lot. Weekend at Bernie's, bed posted him out of there. 500 pound, man. <laughs> this dude was huge. And they all get in this old four-door, big old Chevrolet Caprice car. All of them? Almost all of them. And uh, and then they realize that they've they've left something behind. They get ready to take off. Well, there's two or three more jump in with them. They go a little bit further through the parking lot, and they're getting ready to pull out, and they realize, I guess they forgot something else. Well, Tattoo Face jumps out, and it's like, (whistles) whistles real loud, and out of nowhere comes these two big, gigantic dogs. Like Dobermans or? Just big old hairy. They looked about like their hair. Just big old nasty, matted, <laughs> big old furry dogs. And he gets back in the car. The back door opens. All of them's in this caprice. And in jump the two big dogs. <laughs> close the doors. And they're off, to the, they're off to the races. Off goes the smell. Off goes the smell. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all just sitting there like, what the hell has just happened? Where are these people from? Where are they going? Del Rio. They got their dogs. <laughs> I guess, yeah, they might be going to Del Rio or Grassy Fork or somewhere up in there. Who knows? So Have you, you, played you up see there? a lot of wild shit. Have you played up there a lot? Like Newport, Cock County, all that? Oh, yeah. Have you? Yeah. Is the uh, is the cockfighting thing real? Yeah. They really, they really fight? Yeah. Fighting cocks up there? Yeah. Have you been to one? I have not. I wouldn't ever go. I've been invited several times. There used to be a big ring up there that got busted, you know, that the sheriff had something to do with. And then there was a another big ring up in um, the other way up, like Sharp's Chapel. Where's that? Uh, past Norris, past Bubba's Brews. Okay. Up, towards up there, like the Chuck Swan management area yeah. up there um, at um, Sharp's Chapel. Yeah. That sounds crazy. That sounds like, uh, you know, it, it sounds archaic almost. Yeah. That that kind of stuff happens. Yeah. But you hear that about Newport and Cock County, that they, that they have cockfights up there. Well, when I was a kid, we had some neighbors move in <clears throat> that were from Michigan that were some relation to the people that lived there before that sold the house to them. 
And when they moved in, they had, dude, they had uh, those little, uh, 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 I don't even know what you call them, chicken houses, you know. The You're passed by somewhere in the country and you see these little, they look like a little A-frame. Yeah. Yeah, that's where the chickens stay. And they were all fighting roosters. Really? Yeah, they fought them. Your neighbors did? <clears throat> yeah. So what is it? You bet on them? You bet on whose bird's going to win? And yeah. one of them lives and one of them dies? Yeah. Is that how that works? Yeah. And sometimes they'll get they'll get injured and not, you know, and not completely die. And these guys will uh give them mouth to mouth. And bring them back to life and fight them again. Really? Till they die. Yeah, it's uh, totally barbaric. A grown human, from what I've been told, given given a chicken mouth to mouth. Yeah, yeah. That's his. That's his prize rooster. Man, it's amazing. They named him Mike Tyson. <laughs> it's amazing what Appalachia will yield, man. I, yeah. Well, I I had a cousin uh, who passed away recently, and uh, went. I went to his funeral in. Uh, in Kentucky. And I was just amazed at the difference in like what Knoxville sees or thinks of as Appalachia mm-hmm. and what Appalachia living really is. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's those places here, you know, I mean, within 50, 60 miles of where we're at right now. Right. Uh, all the way, you know, all throughout the the rural areas it, it it's crazy though because we like to we like to dress up appalachia we like to wear the hat oh we like to yeah. wear the jeans and the frills yeah, and all that for sure but then you realize that there's people really living that and it's not too yeah. far away yeah you drive through corbin kentucky sure. or or thousand sticks kentucky or hiding or uh you know or even through certain parts of um uh, Union County or Granger County. Yeah. And you you know, if you're if you're driving through there with your damn eyes open and have a half a brain in your head, you'll see it. Yeah. I always uh I have friends who live all over the country. I have friends that you know, that that live in New York and they come down here to visit and they fly into Nashville because it's a place that they want to spend a day on their way over to see us. And mm-hmm. so they'll, they'll fly into Nashville they'll stay a night in Nashville, go do the hot chicken thing, go to a Preds game and all that. And then they'll get to Knoxville and be like, we saw a rebel flag while we were driving over here. Yeah. What the hell is that all about? <laughs> like it's, that's scratching the surface, my man. Oh my God. That's, that's just barely getting there. Like for, as far as your culture shock is concerned. Yeah. Like it, it can, I can, we can, we can see some shit if you yeah. want to. Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of appreciate that. I, I, I kind of, I, I, I kind of like that. Appalachia is. You know this this thing that people like to celebrate and and dress up as and almost uh, almost almost treated as a costume. Yeah. But when you really get into it, it's some serious stuff. Absolutely, it ain't no joke. Hey man, you know to bring it back around, one out of six children 
still go hungry in East Tennessee. Yeah, we got 95 counties in the state, and you said 16 of them. 18. 18 of them. Yeah. Still need. Yeah, one out of six. Nonprofits to feed their population. Yeah, yeah. And and so that that's real life. Yeah, that's, that ain't happening. I mean, it's happening in lots of other places, but it's not only happening sure. in Detroit or Flint or any other impoverished right. community. It's happening in your backyard. Yeah. And, yeah. And and people don't realize that that is like that is a legitimate representation of America. Also. Yeah. Absolutely. It's not to be forgotten about. It you know, you you love to look at New York and LA and Hollywood and all that and say that, you know, this is this is a representation of what America is, but that's not that's not telling the whole story. No, there's a lot more I to mean, it. Well there's a yeah, I mean But shit, that part's fire. not sexy to tell, you know. Look how many homeless people are in, in California. I mean there's Tent City it covers how many city blocks, you know? Yeah, my buddy Josh Lowry, who was on the podcast. I mean, yeah, he lives I in, listened to that one. You did? Yeah. I mean, he lives in Venice Beach. Yeah. He can see the ocean from his bed. Yeah. And he can walk outside and see, you know, thousands yeah. of unhoused individuals that yeah. are sleeping on the beach, living, living out there, living in paradise. Yeah. You know? Hey, man. We were in we were in Hawaii. Um, I don't I can't remember what year it was now, but a few years ago, obviously before the pandemic. But um, you know, me and a buddy of mine, we're coming back some from um, some friend's house up on the North Shore, and my other friend that we were staying with lives on the east side of the island. So you Kauai? know, in Hawaii on Kauai on Kauai. So, you know, that's um, probably about a 30-minute drive, 25-minute drive, something like that. It's dark. It's getting ready to storm. Um, You know, ain't a damn street light nowhere. I mean, it's dark, you know. And we get out to, we finally make it out off the side road um, to the to the main two-lane to the main two-lane road that goes all the way around the island. And uh, it's just starting to rain. And there's this young girl, maybe 20, 21, you know, who knows, maybe 18, I don't know, young, in the dark, in the middle of nowhere. And it's storming. And she's hitchhiking, you know, by herself. And, uh, you know, I, I told my buddy Rob, Jimmy's son, I said, man, pull over here. Let's pick her up. I said, man, this is no place for somebody to be. And so we pull over, which hitchhiking is not uncommon out there. But at this particular time, it was really scary. I mean, I'm a, I'm a father. I got a daughter, you know, and I'm just like... You know, and this is this little blonde, beautiful little girl. You know, I say little girl. You guys know what I mean. And so, you know, we pull over and she runs up the truck. I mean, you know, don't know us from Adam. You know, we're in this, uh, in my buddy's, um, 
F-250, you know, regular cab truck, runs up there and says, hey, could you guys take me down to the Lahui, which is all the way on the south end of the island? And that's probably 45 minutes. Oh, Lord. You know, it's, I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere. And 80% of that island of Kauai is uninhabited. Hmm. You know, so this ain't like, you know, this is in the damn jungle, in the wilderness. And um, I said, well, we're not we're not going all the way down there. I said, but you don't need to be out here, you know. And she's like, well, I'll get in the back if you can just take me however far. And I'm like, honey, it's piss pouring the rain. I was like, I know you don't know us, but just get in, you know. And she does. Still, no inhibitions. No, don't know us, nothing. Well, we, you know, we, I start talking to her, and she's like, yeah, I'm from, I think she said she was from some part in California, and she had flew out there, and she was just going to backpack and thumb rides and enjoy the island, didn't know if she was going back or all this crazy shit. And um, I'm like, well, where are you headed when you get down here? She's like, well, I got some friends. They're having a party down there. And uh, I'm just going to go. I met them, you know, three days ago at the beach. I'm just going to go down there and hang out with them. And, you know, and in the back of my mind, I'm just thinking, what the hell? So she gets in. We we drive her. And, dude, she's as happy as anything can be. And I said, well, we're only going to Kapa'a, which is on the east side of the island, but you know, I was like, I really don't feel comfortable dropping you off even there. You know, we'll just, we'll just, we'll take you on down to Lahui. And she's like, well, you guys don't have to do that. You're, you've been really nice and all this stuff. Um, but nonetheless, we, we take her all the way down. And, you know, when she gets out, she's like, here's for y'all's troubles. Thanks a bunch. You know, gives us a couple of joints. And, you know, I'm just sitting there thinking, on what planet are we on and why would you ever, I mean, you know, I'm a pretty intimidating guy if you've seen me out in the middle of nowhere at the middle of the night, right? beard, tattoo, long hair, you know, all this crazy and shit. She's just hopping in yes, the truck oh, with you. It's such a pretty world today. But isn't that Look how, at the sunshine. Isn't that what life should be? I guess, man. Wouldn't that be great if it was all like that? Well, wouldn't it be great if you couldn't afford to put gas in your car and you could just walk yeah, down to the street and it'd be great and get if a I ride could to work? Wake up Peter Pan and have him make me a damn sandwich too. But you know, I mean, unfortunately, that's not. But I, I love that story because I love that there's humanity at its best there. There's yeah. there's not in, any creepy guys trying to, you know. Yeah, totally. I Take mean, advantage of somebody, and there's not, you know, a, 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 you know, a Mona Lisa passenger who's just waiting for a boyfriend to meet you at the next stop and rob you. Yeah, you know. I mean, there's those thoughts going through my mind as well. I'm sure know? it's just like, but you know, I mean, I guess, um, you know. I don't know why I got off on that story or what led us well, to it's that. A story but, about humanity. But you know, we we were trying to do the right thing and 
Well, you, you know, did. But and what it, it would have happened if it had been somebody else, you know? Yeah. And that's somebody's that's somebody's daughter. Yeah, but, you know, it, it probably is one of the safer places to do something like that. I remember being in uh, oh, Utah a couple years ago and hitchhikers being pissed that we drove by and didn't pick them up. Right. Because I just didn't like, I'm with my pregnant wife. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want to pick up a stranger and put him in the van with us. And they're, and they're just trying to get, you know, 40 miles down the road to do their next hike or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I just don't know. I don't, I can't subject myself to this kind of risk. Well, it's not worth it. Yeah. I know what, what led me down to that was the, was just the homeless population, mm. and you know, and there's tons of homeless people in Hawaii. Yeah, because you can be. Yeah, because you're not going to freeze to death. Yeah, that's why. And you have food on the ready, just about everywhere. Mm. That grows wild, you know, yeah. and damn chickens everywhere, everywhere, everywhere you go, you see a chicken. I was in the Keys for uh, for our... Uh, or a hundred of them. Yeah. Yeah. Our vacation we did uh, as a family went to uh, Marathon Key and Key West and all that. Just kind of drove around, did a did a whole like runabout type deal, walkabout of, of the Florida Keys. And that was one of the coolest things to me is seeing just wild birds walking around in the mm-hmm. public's parking lot and roosters and chickens at restaurants just hanging out, walking around. Yeah. I love that, like, that integration of of, of life together, humans and, uh, and nature. It feels, yeah. it feels, feels like it's how it should be. Well, you talk to a lot of the homesteaders out there, and, you know, they will, they will, um, they will set traps and catch the young ones, the young wild chickens, mm. you know, and fatten them up on mango and star fruit and all this, yeah. you know, yeah. ice cream bananas and, and all use this them for meat stuff. birds. Yeah. Yeah. That'll work. Yeah. But, you know, unfortunately, uh, well, I mean, there's no natural predators there as well. So, you know they're completely overpopulated. You can't have chickens in my neighborhood because yeah. of coyotes. Yeah, you can't have cats in our neighborhood yeah. because of coyotes. And you don't have them in you know in rural uh, Appalachia for the same reasons too. Exactly. You know, it's like it's uh so I don't know how we all got started on that, but <laughs> but but it's in your backyards. It's happening here. You know, and um, people need to be aware of it. And, you know, I've always heard this like this narrative of, you know, Knoxville is Las Vegas for the for the unhoused because they can travel here and they know they're going to get taken care of. It's mm -hmm. on Interstate 75. It's on Interstate 40. You can take a Greyhound here for super cheap from just about anywhere. But I was very humbled and and kind of shocked to understand that these uh entities that take care of people who are unhoused are uh actually taking care of popula- uh, of the populations that come from our region and that there's 
you know, it's it, Morristown doesn't have a Carm. Right. Morristown doesn't have a Helen Ross McNabb. And so you're getting kind of all this regional, you know, this this influx of, of people that come here because we have the resources that yeah that they need. And people give Knoxville a hard time for having a really uh, a population of of folks who are asking for money on the streets and panhandlers and mm. all that. And it's actually not it's not really that true. Like you you get the usual suspects out there you get the you i see uh, uh my girl pink pants and i see the guy god rest his soul who did all the card tricks like you see the same oh, group of, yeah yeah you see them around and charles do you remember charles yeah. he used to be in the old city charles yeah. Irwin. yeah great guy love him bought him many beers at the jig and reel and hung out with yeah. him and he's helped me load gear into places and you know they become yeah. part of the part of the fabric and all that, but you know you you also do see a little bit of uh, you see the things you don't want to see, and you understand that that because of the size of our city, we kind of become the resource for the surrounding areas, our MSA, our geographical metropolitan area, uh, all that that. You know, we we kind of become the resource that 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 they have to. Well, uh, Knoxville's always been a hub town. Yeah, if, it's right in the middle of just it. about everything. Yeah, if four hours in any direction other than west, you know, you can be in how many different states? Yeah, you know, six, five, yeah. and a, you know, ten hour drive from three quarters of the country's population. Yeah, you know, so it 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 does. Uh, it it becomes a bit of a it, it becomes of a stop it becomes a stopover or a hub, but I think that really does kind of add to the it adds to the culture a little bit and adds to what what we've got. It makes us not so myopic as far as what our identity is as a city, and it's why you know Mike McGill's country music can thrive here, and so can Will Wright's little iffy wizard rap. Mm-hmm. You know because we're not this. We're not this this homogenous stream of culture, right? I think it's I think it's uh I I think it's unique. We're we're very unique. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to travel a lot and see a see a lot of different places and um go to a lot of um a lot of different places where people you know say, oh well, man, Austin. Austin, Austin, you know, or, um, you know, and, and I'm not picking on Austin. It's just the first example that pops into my mind, but, you know, we do, uh, you know, there's two different places downtown that has music seven nights a week, Yep. you know, and, uh, we, you know, we were talking earlier, you know, I mean, I've opened shows for Sturgill Simpson in one of those places. And I've opened shows for Chris Stapleton in one of those places. So you never know who or what you're going to see. And then you add all the local flavor in on all the top of that. And, um, we're very, we're very rich with, with talent, uh, here in Knoxville. 
And I think a lot of times it might get overlooked um, because people think you got to go somewhere else to find it, you know? Yeah, I I, I have an issue with with the overlooked part of it because I, I think maybe it is an embarrassment of riches at some point. Yeah, there's, that there's so much good going on that That's it's just a good all way to kind put of it. blends in together. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I mean, just by you know from listening to your podcast and just knowing uh, in 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 the world that you, that you call your profession, um, just knowing that there's that many people here that that has a reach That's as wild. broad as it is. In an industry where you may think that only you only get that in Hollywood, or you only get that in Atlanta, mm-hmm. or you only get that in New York, um, it's pretty it's pretty uh, eye opening, you know, to find out that there's so many talented people, uh, especially in the arts, you know. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's. You could say oversaturated, but I I would call it just dense. Yeah, it's it's just a dense population of extremely extremely talented artists, and it's backdooring into the mainstream, and nobody notices it, mm-hmm. especially in the film and television world. You know, it's you know we've got companies here feeding the Discovery Networks and countless other networks with content and, and television shows. Yeah. And you don't even know that it's here. It's quiet. When you look at the history of music, you know, we'll just say country music. Um, but, you know, it was um, born in Bristol, raised here in Knoxville, and, you know. And Sent it, to roost in Nashville. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, you don't, you don't have, I mean, at some point you do have to go, you have, you do have to get out there cause no, you know, they're not going to come to your house to see you. Mm. Um, but, um, there's a lot of really talented people out there and you're one of them. Well, shucks. Thanks buddy. We miss anything? We did we properly uh, set up the spectacular? You uh, think? Yeah, sorta. I guess we we touched on a lot of it. Um, December eighteenth. Yeah. Uh, doors open at seven. Showtime is from eight to ten. Uh, this is the tenth year of the Mike McGill Christmas Spectacular. We have always done it on the Sunday before Christmas, so um, this year will be no different. You can uh, tickets are on sale now at knoxbijou.org. dot uh, org. You can uh, you can uh, buy those now. Uh, your twenty dollar admission price is going to get you um, a two hour show that's going to have something for everybody. I can assure you of that. You're also going to meet um, several different um, several different talented. Um, um, artists who you may or may not have known in the past um, that you can find their music online or at any um, 
uh, anywhere you download your music and all that stuff, and they're right here under your nose. So you're going to go to the show, and then you're going to walk away with some uh, some homework. Yes. You're going to be able to, to, to find some new artists that you didn't know you loved. I, I would think so. And um, that $20 admission uh, is going to create 60 meals for a for a for a child here in East Tennessee. You know, up to this point we've um we've been fortunate enough through uh through um people's donations as well as uh all of our uh ticket sales and that stuff we've um we've been able to provide nearly 50,000 meals. Wow. Uh in just a 6-year time, you know, because it wasn't a charitable event until year number 4. Yeah. So, um, doing a lot of good things with that. Um, we're going to have merch for the first time this year. Nice. So, uh, you can get all your, uh, Mike McGill Christmas spectacular swag that you want. We're going to have, uh, hoodies, t-shirts and caps. Um, Hell yeah. and, um, um, those percentages will also go to second harvest food for kids program, in East Tennessee, if you'd like to know anything more about the actual program and what it does, it's not just they don't just feed the children here at Christmas time. They feed them um, all the way throughout the year. Yeah, the summertime too, when they don't go yeah. to school, right? Yeah, yeah, they still um, they still uh, deliver those meals to the schools, and um, they can pick all those up there and uh, get them through. You know the summertime as well. So uh, it's a really good cause. It's something that's gotten totally bigger than me over these 10 years. And, um, you know, I think it's a really good time of year to have some humility and some humbleness, you know, being at the holidays. Um, It should carry on throughout the year, but um, this is a good way to push us through to the to the new year and uh search for a little bit of hope you know one of the songs that we've done for 10 years is merle haggard's if we make it through december yeah and everybody's like well that's not a christmas song it's kind of sad and it's kind of this no bullshit it's a song about hope and if we make it through december then everything's going to be all right i love it you know so um come out and be with us we got um i said already we got sponsors this year uh the chop shop cindy lou down on central mm-hmm. uh, go down there and get your hair did and uh they'll they'll take care of you um uh, ben's been kind enough with the south scruffy to uh help us out with a sponsorship um harvey's pizza and deli Oh, love Harvey's. Yeah, simply the best. And um, as well as uh, Riot Printing and um, <clears throat> um, Barley's Tap Room and Pizzeria has actually came on board to uh, help kind of keep that whole um, vibe going. That still. whole little marriage vibe going. That, that seed that they planted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. We're just really looking forward to it. It's like I said, it's going to be a, a full night of music. It's all Christmas stuff. Um, there'll be a bar open, and uh, as I was told last Ooh. year, um, Mike McGill, your people love the booze. That's what I hear. So uh, <laughs> come out, celebrate with us, and uh, do some good for uh, you know. Kids ask for a lot of things. You know, they may ask for. 
um, bicycles or, you know, uh, all kinds of gifts or stuff they may or may not need. But the one thing they don't ask for is to go to bed hungry at night. Mm. <clears throat> so if you can find it in your hearts to come out and be with us, we'll entertain you. And uh, I promise you, you'll have a good time. And uh, if you don't, we'll just keep your mouth shut and we'll all <laughs> get along and uh we'll raise a bunch of money for these kids that need it so love it mike yeah man Man, thanks for doing this thanks for being here again i love seeing you well i love you too ben and thanks for um thanks for being my friend um should we tell them about um the uh the stuff you you guys are going to be doing this year yeah sure let me see real quick yeah let me go to the bathroom break okay So, yeah, one of the one of the other real cool things that uh, we've done over the past uh, several years is uh, Second Harvest has always uh, has set up a we'll have a virtual food drive set up online. So this year, uh, with it being our 10 year, um, we've had so many people uh, out of state and out of country who's contributed every year to this cause we've we've always done really well uh for folks that um has kept up with me um throughout the years from uh uh like say out of state out of country uh we got several folks in uh england who uh have donated every year got several we got uh folks in pittsburgh south dakota uh louisiana uh, to name a few, but, um, they've, uh, they've never got to see the program. They've donated every year. They've donated every year and never got to see the program. So, um, Hawaii being one of those States as well. Um, so this year, uh, Ben's been kind enough to, uh, come on board, uh, not only as a sponsor, but he's also lending his talents to, um, videoing, the uh the entire performance so um i think if if we can if we can get it turned around that we can uh we can get it up um and on uh uh, on online on some format that folks will actually get the chance to see the show from their from their homes and uh that's a really Big treat and something I've been wanting to do for a long time, and uh, well, you're taking it to the next level. You're uh, yeah, you're you're, you're not just uh, impacting the people who can be there in person to see it, uh, just like you're not just impacting the, uh, you know, the community around us. You're impacting you know a, a ripple far beyond that. So why not you know why not uh, in that spirit let uh, people enjoy the product. Also, yeah. of, of what you're doing, not not just the you know the the benefits and the and the fundraising that happens, but you know let's let's let the product get out there and be something that people can can enjoy and appreciate, whether they donate or not. Too sometimes, yeah. you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, and um, a very big, uh, very big thanks to you for that. Sure, man. And uh, having me out and um, for being my friend. We've been friends for a long time, and uh, I don't know why. I've never really liked you. It's like 20 years, man. It's but, crazy. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. You were just a young Ben when I first met you. Yeah, yeah. 
but um it's a it's a, it's a wonderful thing uh you can follow me at facebook uh, backslash mike mcgill uh, here in knoxville tennessee and uh, we'll have an event page put up to keep you posted on um any of the new stuff that's coming out and um you know give you more a little more and more details about uh about this year's show and a little bit of the history of um the past 10 years as well as uh um uh, billy on uh instagram so yeah so Love it, Mike. I'm yeah. so I'm so glad to see you, man, and I'm glad that we got to do this again for the I think at least the third year in a row. I think it is. I think uh, so too. Is it third? Yeah, I, I guess it is third. third. I yeah. think so. Yeah. But, I love um, you, man. I'm glad that we got to hang out tonight, and I'm glad that uh, yeah that we did this. And I really hope that people can come out and uh, and see the Mike McGill Christmas Spectacular. Yeah, on me as Sunday, well. December 18th, eight to ten p.m. Hey, at, just at real. At the Bijou Theater, downtown Knoxville. Um, congratulations to you with the podcast. Oh, you, thanks, you put up some big news there the other day with all uh, the the shares and uh, uh, and your all's uh, popularity seems to be growing. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, man. Yeah, I, I was just a just a thing of me chatting with my buddies, but yeah. yeah. But I, I was going to ask about it earlier in. Uh, you know, we had so many uh, stories to tell, but uh, well, it's it's been cool, and it's it's not, you know, I, I almost feel, uh, I feel like the guests should should own that success and that excitement as much as anybody else should, because that's why people listen. You know, they don't they don't just listen to hear me talk all day. Otherwise, that's what I would do. Yeah, know? right. But, but it's about the guests and about getting to hear, you know, the interesting stories that uh, that brought people to where they are, and and that that make uh, that make us us is what you know is is what I say, and and so that's as much you know that's that's as much of a uh, well, absolutely. But and you're you're being way too kind. But you you also had to come to that point to where you were going to do it, you know. And uh, that you made the the decision to to do this, you know. So kudos to you, brother. Well, it was all right here in front of me. There's, yeah, there's, there's, that's the way it normally goes. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it'd be crazy. Now I can't believe somebody didn't do this before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, I love you, man. I'm, I love you too, I'm Ben. Glad we got to do this. Thanks for being here. Thanks for uh, sticking around, everybody, and. Uh, Wake up the neighbors, call the kids, and for God's sake, stop licking the damn windows. Tell somebody about the Christmas Spectacular and South Scruffy Podcast. Do it. Love you too, buddy. All right, all right, all right. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope everybody's having a great holiday season, keeping it together. We appreciate you guys being here so much. Thanks, all of you, for continuing to listen pod you're like family at this point love all you guys so take care of each other take care of yourselves talk to you guys real soon all right bitch wire play me